So I think I've mentioned one time before how the book of James has been really difficult for me. Um, if you've been talking to me throughout the week, I know I've had a few conversations with you and we've been just discussing this book together and, and I've confessed multiple times how, how hard it has been for me to preach on this book. And I think a part of the reason why is because this book has so much application in it. James doesn't really pull any of his punches. He just kind of says what's true, and it's just as simple as that. So in some ways, I feel like I can just read the book of James and call it a day, but you guys are paying me millions of dollars, and uh, I, I find it important to take the time to still preach on this message. So we're going to be in chapter 2, verse 14 today. And I'm really excited about what we're going to be talking about because I think it'll really help all of us have a better understanding of what it means to have faith. So let's look at chapter 2, verse 14, which, by the way, most of what we're going to be reading today is in some ways some of the most debated verses in all of uh, the New Testament of Scripture. So 2.14 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? So right out of the gate, James is kind of setting up the whole entire argument for what he wants to be able to explain to his listeners from this verse all the way through to verse 26. And kind of the two things that he's bringing up is what? Faith, and what's the other one? Deeds. So this is kind of going to be the argument that James wants to, to, to kind of make today, is this concept of faith and deeds. Faith being our beliefs in God, what we put our hopes in, and deeds being the things um, that are our conscious actions, the choices that we make in living out our lives. Faith and deeds. And it's with these two theological concepts that James is trying to set the stage and specifically focus on the relationship between faith and deeds. And I believe that James sets up this first portion of verse 14 as a question because he wants you as a listener to be able to think about it. To ask yourself, what is the relationship between faith and deed? So I invite you to do that. I invite you to ask yourself that question as we're reading today. So we're going to continue now in verse 15, and it says, suppose a brother or sister. So I want you to picture somebody who is within the Christian faith. It doesn't have to be within this church, but it could be within this church. Uh, but somebody that you know that is a fellow believer whom you have a relationship with, and maybe someone that, that, that you have a close relationship with. Picture them in your mind as we continue to read through these verses. So suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. The Greek word that he uses there 
for being without clothes is, is this word gomnos, and it basically means to be naked, and we'll put that on the screen. It, it, mean, it means to be naked, to, to be without, in some ways, a lack of an outer garment. So it's someone who in some ways ha- can't even provide for themselves in the basic necessities of what they're wearing. So someone who is without clothes and without food is obviously a tragic situation to be in, and I want you to think of that person that you know, and if they were in a situation like that, and if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? So what is James doing here? He's wanting you as a reader or listener to think of a person in your life who had who would be falling under uh, who would have had fallen under hard times. And in response to that individual being fallen under hard times, you just say Go in peace, keep warm, and be well fed. He's saying, what good is doing something like that for that individual? You know, that phrase, go in peace, is a, con- uh, is a common Jewish dismissal. That's oftentimes how they would say uh, goodbye to one another. They would say, go in peace. So, in- I mean, we even do it today-, today in our church, right? Oftentimes after the service, I'll say, well, may each of you go in peace. But a similar phrase could be is, is, well, best wishes, good luck, hope that works out for you, God bless you. And James is trying to, in some ways, kind of set up the hypocrisy of that. That this person who is your brother and sister in Christ, who is in great need in their lives, who you see, someone that you see that, that need visibly, and your response is just to say, well, God bless you. I think each of us has probably been in a situation where we have seen that happen to somebody, or maybe that has happened to us, where we've desired for somebody to be able to make a difference in our lives or the lives of another individual, and we've in some ways bore our soul to that person, but what happens? We get no deep response. You know, I remember in 2013, that year was in some ways had some of the 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 greatest highs in life, but it had also the greatest lows in life for me. You see, I had just married my wife in November of 2012, and um, after two months of marriage, we just packed up our bags, left for Colorado, and we were very excited about the journey that God was going to uh, have us be on while we were out here. But within a span of just a few months towards the tail end of summer into the fall, both my wife and I experienced some of the the hardest moments that we had ever experienced in our lives. 
I mean, in some ways to this day. I had to have an emergency surgery that cost me $47,000 that I didn't have. And I remember one by one, letters and bills came into the mail. And I just remember after I got seven different bills from seven different people that participated in helping me out during that situation, seeing the numbers adding up, I just walked out of our apartment, sat on the steps, held those letters in my hand and just wept, feeling like a complete failure. I hadn't even been married for a year and yet I felt like I was doing nothing but burdening our relationship. That same year, my wife's God died in a way. See, my loving wife who loves Jesus dearly was praying for a result for something to happen that didn't happen, and that family tragedy shook her to her core. So much so that she felt like her God died. Being new to Denver, we had already started attending a church, and I remember not really knowing how to share this, but just so desperately wanting somebody to just hug me, hug her, and tell us it's going to be okay. And I remember in my attempts to be able to communicate some of the struggle that was going on, we would hear things like, well, you know, God works things for the good of those who love Him. We've talked about how damaging that could be in our previous series that we were in, Misquoting God. I just remember thinking in that time how much I just wanted somebody to love us through this. And I didn't know what that would mean, but just somebody who can be a brother or sister to us and help bring healing in this situation. Well, God eventually did, but it wasn't through, it wasn't easy and it wasn't quick. And I think this is what James is trying to get at. He's trying to ask the question, what good is it if you see this brother and sister and all you do is say, well, God bless you. He says that there's a hypocrisy of faith there. And that the ultimate answer to that is it's not good. That it offers no value to do those kinds of things, but if anything, it ends up being even more damaging than probably not saying anything at all. James desperately wants us to get this right. Because what he's desiring is, is he's desiring a consistency between who we are in how we live. In verse 17, he follows this up in saying, in the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by what? Read that word. Action is dead. Or some translations can say, is dead and useless. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. And James right here is 
some kind of setting up what we have seen so often, the disconnected nature between faith and deeds. And James follows this by saying, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. I'll tell you what, when I was first reading this verse as a new Christian, verse 19 really hit me hard. Because what is James basically saying here? He's saying that if your faith The faith that you claim, if you say that you as an individual are a Christian, that you love Jesus, if you hold on to that name but yet aren't living out what it means to be a follower of Jesus, then he not only says that that is dead, but he says that even if you believe in him, well, good for you, the demons also do that. He's saying that in some ways your faith is useless if there's an inconsistency between how you are living and what you believe. Because the truth is, is the devil knows who God is. The enemy believes in God. He knows that he is real, which is why he works hard to be able to discourage us. To bring temptation into our life. To cause us to move away from the things of the Lord and into sin. And James is saying that if all you do is believe, then, well, in some ways, that's about what the devil is doing too and his demons. Jesus even says this. One of the powerful stories, I think, that comes out of the Gospels is that of the rich young ruler. And just by a show of hands, anyone ever heard that story before? Most of you have, right? So what's the story? They call him the rich young ruler because he runs up to Jesus and there's no talk about him being young, but I guess running is a sign of being young. So he runs up to Jesus and he, he starts to ask Jesus, Lord what must I do? Teacher, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he's like, basically, how do I figure out this salvation thing? What must I do to be saved? That is what this guy is asking. Now, this is the biggest softball question you could ever ask somebody in the whole entire Bible, right? I mean, if you're a pastor, this is what you hope every single person will one day do for you, is they'll just come up to you and say, hey, Pastor Kevin, what must I do to get saved? And I would say, I'm glad you asked, brother. And Maybe we would say something like, all you need to do is the ABCs. You need to admit that you have sinned. You need to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord, and you need to confess your beliefs with your mouth. I mean, that's kind of what we almost expect Jesus to do, right? If someone asked you that question, wouldn't you want to respond in a similar manner? 
But what does Jesus do? Does he tell him, hey brother, I'm so glad you asked. See, all you have to do is just believe in me. He doesn't do that at all. Instead, Jesus tells him in verse 21 of chapter 19 of Matthew, he says that if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. What? So when asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life, Jesus totally disregards it with what most evangelical pastors or Christians would say, and instead tells him to do something, to sell what he has, give it to the poor, and then follow him. Why does Jesus do that? Well, because Jesus understands the relationship between faith and works, and oftentimes the way that we live reveals the inner feelings of our heart. That's why in Mark 7, 15, Jesus says, nothing outside of a person, so the clothes that we wear, the things that we eat, can truly defile them Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. Church, are you taking the time to consider the way that you live? The message that you are giving through the words and the actions that you commit. You know, there's a famous quote by Francis Assisi. He, it, it's, it's misquoted. He didn't actually say this, but he said something like this, and it's attributed to him. But he said, preach the gospel and use words if necessary. Now, I'm against that statement as a whole because I would say preach the gospel through actions and words, but the, ho- the, the point of what is trying to be communicated there. And I think James is saying it in chapter 2, is that ultimately our actions, the things that we do, and our faith, the words that we speak, need to align. Paul echoes this in Colossians 3.17 when he says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. See, I believe that faith is living and it's active. That for us to truly have faith, it needs to be something that is living and inactive in our life. And the sad truth is, is that I've encountered many Christians, both inside and outside of the church, who claim Christ, but don't seem to live it out. And this disconnect is concerning. Because you are oftentimes, in whatever sphere of influence God has you in, an opportunity for someone to see light. Did you hear that? Did you understand that? 
You see, the Lord, I believe, has put you into unique places, unique environments. That's why I believe God has gifted us in all sorts of different ways. Some of us who work with our hands, others who might work in more corporate settings or teaching settings or what have you. We all are called and gifted to do different things in our lives. And it's through those callings and those, through those giftings and those skills and those places that God puts us in that He affords us the opportunity to be able to show and demonstrate our faith to other people. Which is why it's so important that there's a consistency between how we live and what we believe. And I know I'm saying this over and over and over again today, but I can't think of anything more important that James is trying to say. You know, I try to choose my words wisely when I'm leading somebody to Christ. And one of the reasons why I do that is because, unfortunately, I've seen, especially in the last few years, people become apostates of faith. And what, what is that? That's when someone renounces their faith in Christ. Sometimes I worry that what's actually going on there is those people might not have truly believed in Jesus to begin with. That it was just an emotional acceptance. Or it was an acceptance because maybe their parents raised them in church. So they held the name of Christian, but they weren't really Christian. I don't want to put any undue fear in you, and I don't want you to question your own salvation, because here's the thing, Scripture is very clear that we cannot be plucked from the Father's hand. That's not how things work. We don't need to have a fear for our, our, our salvation. If we have faith in Jesus and we profess Him as our Lord, then we can take hope in knowing that He will send His Holy Spirit to us to be able to offer that as a seal of salvation over our lives. But what I am saying is, are there people walking in the church who claim the name of Christ who don't really believe who he is, because obviously they're not living it out. And I know that's a hard question to ask, but we need to be able to take the time to think about what, whether what we believe aligns with how we are living. A.W. Tozer, a, a really well-liked author and that incredible Christian, he says, here are some good questions in some ways to Ask yourself to find self-discovery. He, I, I kind of paraphrase some of these, but he says that question one, he, he offers seven. What do you want most out of life? What do you think about most? How do you use your money? 
How do you use your leisure time? What kind of company do you enjoy? Who and what do you admire? And what do you laugh at? I invite you to think about those questions for yourself and to ask that. Continuing in verse 20, James says, You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the Scriptures was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. James is not pulling any punches here. And he's calling it as he sees it. And he's saying that you are foolish in some ways if you think that you can take these two concepts and separate them. You see, one of the cool things or or interesting things about, about the story of Abraham and why he's trying to touch on this story is because in the book of Genesis, when God is working in the life of Abraham, he specifically tries to help Abraham in chapter 12 understand that he's going to make him a great nation. This is a promise that he offers Abraham, and you can look at that in chapter 12 in the first three verses there, and he tells them that he's going to be a great nation, and then mentions all these other things and how God is going to bless Abraham. But what's interesting is, is that even though God gives him this promise, and one of the promises is is that he's going to have descendants, Abraham and Sarah can't conceive a child. So what do they do? They try to force God's hand and they try to have a, a child somehow, some way by making Abraham sleep with another woman. And ultimately, God corrects them in that. And Sarah does have a child. But all of a sudden, things start to, in some ways, get rocky. Because God gives them this child named Isaac, but and then puts them to the test because Abraham is to now sacrifice his son at the altar. But what's amazing in that moment is Abraham is willing to do it, and just before Abraham sacrifices his son, what happens? God interrupts him provides a lamb in in a very powerful way is, is doing what? Foreshadowing exactly what God is going to do and in some ways saying, don't worry Abraham, you don't have to provide your own son. I will provide my own son. And this lamb, which is representative of Christ in some ways, is given to Abraham as a sacrifice in that moment. So even though God 
promised Abraham of of being a great nation and having many descendants and that he would be able to be a blessing to other people, ultimately he still called Abraham to live out his faith. What would have happened if Abraham never decided to sacrifice his son Isaac? We don't know. But we can guess that things probably wouldn't have turned out the way that they did. And James is touching on this and saying that it was through Abraham's actions, not just his faith, that the Lord considered him a friend. Church, we need to nurture our relationship with the Lord. One of the best ways that we can do that is just by living things out. You know, I don't, I don't know what the opposite of a green thumb is, but whatever it is, I have it. <laughs> I have this unique ability to be able to kill every single plant that I touch. And I don't know why we waste money on this, but every single year around the springtime, what do stores do? They start to put out plants. And my wife and I, who seems to also have this same skill, we are dumb enough to buy them. And I, I, I feel kind of silly each year because one, I feel kind of sad for the plants that, are, that if they could talk are probably saying, help me! <laughs> But I also felt, feel pretty silly because I know I'm about to spend $20, dollars $40 on plants that are all about to die in, a, in, in the course of a week. I mean, there's probably more fun ways to blow money, right? So this year, what happened? We bought six different plants and put them out in the patio, and they looked good for about three days, and then soon enough you start to see them wilt and... I'm trying to water them and keep them alive, but my gift is, is coming through and I'm killing them well. All five, five of the six plants die and one poor plant is left and I can tell that it's like, again, if it could talk, it's looking at me and saying, dear God, why? <laughs> but I looked at that last sad little plant and I said, you know what, I'm going to save this little thing, and I'm going to learn how to, how to do better here. And that plant is still alive. <laughs> and I know this sounds silly, but that felt like an accomplishment for me. <laughs> and I share this story, and I know it's lighthearted, but the reason why I share it is because some of us, we claim the name Christ, we go to church, but kind of like the plants, we don't really do much more to nurture our relationship. And here's the thing, that creates a certain type of death in us that God does not want us to have. God is calling us to produce good fruits, to be healthy people, and just as Phil read earlier today in the scripture reading, if you nurture your relationship with the Lord, if you allow your relationship with the Lord to be healthy, to be something that, 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 that you are consistently pruning and taking care of, 
intending to, then the promise there is, is that you're going to be able to produce good fruits. That the way that you live is going to look a little different. I know that Jesus was in some ways referring to other things, but I still think that principle applies. Verse 24 is perhaps one of the most controversial verses. And James says this, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not faith alone. I think this verse probably caused Martin Luther to grumble a couple of times. Because you see, this verse in some ways seems to be contradicting another passage of the Bible. What passage am I thinking of? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. If you don't mind, put that on the screen for us, Lena. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for that. It is a gift from God. In the NIV, which is the translation I typically prefer, um, it says that you are saved by grace, through faith. But yet here, what do we see in James 2.24? We see that it says that a person is considered righteous by faith? No by what they do, and not by faith alone. So, who's right? Paul or James? I think the answer is, is they're both hitting on different types of aspects of our faith. You see, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, right after it says that you have been saved by grace through faith, he jumps into, Paul immediately jumps into the works of God. He jumps into how God has prepared works in advance for us to be able to walk in. And James here is, is, is kind of the other side of that coin saying, hey, it's not enough to just believe. You need to live out these beliefs because in some ways that is, is giving value to your words. See, I think one of the, the problems that we can face in life is, is we need to realize that our words need to match the things that we do. That's actually how we give meaning oftentimes to words. So as a way of example, my son, who's only two years old and starting to, to, to my delight, say, I love you, Daddy. You know, it's because I'm telling him, say, and I, I go, say, I love you, Daddy. <laughs> But if I were to, every time, if I were to be a harsh man, and if I were to discipline my, my son, or, or not even discipline, but punish my son, and let's say I was hitting my son every time I said I love you, and I would hit him out of scorn and violence, what do you, what do you think he would learn from the word of love there? He would probably hate that word. Even the little kids are saying, I don't think I'd like that. And I'd be in some ways defining that word of love in that moment to mean something completely different from what its true intent is. In a similar way, I think God wants you to bring meaning 
to your faith through how you are living. Can you do that, church? James finishes up this chapter in verse 25, and he says, In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So here we see that again, that your faith without deeds is dead. And what's amazing here is is that who was the first example that James gave? Anybody remember? Abraham. And the second example here is who? Rahab. Now, we finished up a a, a series in the summer called Unqualified, and we talked about the person of Rahab. So I encourage you, if you you didn't get a chance to listen to that or want to re-listen to that, to to go to our podcast, because it was a powerful story. Her life is amazing. But what I love that James is doing here is he's taking the father of the Jewish faith, and he's taking this woman who was known for what? Being an outcast, a prostitute, and in some ways putting both of these people in front of you to show you that ultimately it doesn't matter how the world has labeled you, it doesn't matter of your shortcomings in the past, it doesn't matter if you were born a certain kind of way or in a certain kind of family, ultimately it is for you to live this out. And by believing it, proclaiming it, and living it out, that is enough. Church, are you mindful of your relationship with God? You know, I I, I don't know exactly where you are today. I can venture to guess, but if you don't have any faith in Jesus, then I think in listening to this message, one way that you can live it out is by placing your faith in Jesus. By making the actions of your life be ones that are of confession and repentance and thanksgiving for what Jesus has done. Maybe you're newer to the faith or have felt like you've been drinking milk for a while. Maybe what you need to do today is Start by reading God's Word more consistently. If you haven't read God's Word well, start with the book of John. And start to see the life of Jesus and see how He lived out His faith. And start to try to apply that in your own life. If you're a veteran in the faith and you've been a Christian for some time, then maybe it's time to talk to God in prayer And start to ask Him to help you figure out how to better live out your faith in whatever context you're in. To be able to expose maybe some sins in your life that you're not addressing. Church, 
I believe that if we get this right, that if we allow our faith and our deeds to be something that works in unity with each other, that we can really do some amazing things for the Lord. Because I believe that God is in the business of using His people and using His church to bring about His glory. So whatever it may be, allow your faith and your deeds to align and to proclaim the name of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this.